Welcome to The First Incision, a podcast from the Christian Medical Fellowship, where we explore topics at the interface of faith and healthcare that affect our Christian lives in today's world. I'm your host, Steve Fouch. In his third and final talk at the CMF National Conference in April 2022, Steve Midgley looked at Philippians 2, 12-18 and what Paul says about being joyful in the midst of life's struggles. So the Bible reading is from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 18. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. This is the word of the Lord. For, for reading for us, um, and uh, uh, thank you again for inviting me. Um, it's been a bit of thrill being here. I have uh, hugely enjoyed uh, my conversations uh, with you over these last few days. Um, the, the, the question and answer session we had yesterday afternoon got a bit carried away. Um, it was scheduled for half an hour, and it just sort of kept rolling and rolling. But such good questions. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, engaging um, uh, with you and hearing uh, about the different areas that you're involved with. Um, thank you too for the interest uh, that uh, many have shown in, in conversations about biblical counselling um, and for, for the excellent questions in that area of work. Um, it, it, it's our passion um, with, with BCUK uh, to, to, to help churches as they seek to be the kind of communities uh, that foster uh, growth in Christ 
uh, to enable us to, to serve him and, uh, and to witness for him more effectively. Um, and uh, if any of our blogs or resources um, or courses uh, are of use for you or others in your, in your church families, then uh, we'd be thrilled. Uh, it be a delight to us uh, to see them used in that way. And in a sense, it is, it's, that, it's that issue of delight or joy uh, that, that we come to in this passage in, in Philippians. Uh, let, let me pray before we, before we look at these verses together. Uh, gracious Father, we, uh, we are blessed in Christ, uh, more, uh, more blessed than uh, we have begun to understand. And uh, we ask that as we remember all that Christ has done for us this morning, and we remember later on uh, in sharing of bread and wine together, and we remember uh, now as we turn to your word and, and have uh, the privilege of, of you speaking to us, addressing us with your, your living word uh, that is uh, able uh, to, uh, to penetrate uh, and to speak to our very souls. Uh, Lord God, give us uh, ears to hear, uh, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's always good, isn't it, when, um, when God sort of takes charge and things work out in a way that you had not anticipated. Um, and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, something like that has happened with this passage uh, for this morning. Because truth be told, when uh, Felicia and I were, were thinking about this, I don't know, what, nine months ago uh, or whatever, as we began to, to sort of think about topics for this. Um, and, and we came up with this idea of, of grappling with some emotions. I felt a bit clearer um, in the area of anxiety and the area of anger, I'd done um, uh, a fair amount of thinking in those areas. And the two passages that we've looked at, Luke 12, Romans 12, um, felt pretty clear on. I was less sure about this one. Um, and, and so it was, it was slightly more of a, a step of faith that, that I thought this one would work out. And it's just been lovely to me as I've got to get more familiar uh, with the particular verses we're looking at uh, this morning. Um, just how relevant they are uh, for this stage of the conference, how much they've got to say to us, not only about joy, but as I've come to realise, um, about what comes next as we finish the weekend and, and head out from here, what they have to say to us about how to live uh, for Christ uh, going forwards. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thrilled uh, to, 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 that God has uh, worked it out in this way. It has been a hard couple of years, hasn't it? There have been plenty of reasons uh, for anxious worrying and for frustrated irritation and anger. Plenty of reasons for that over the last couple of years. Maybe rather less reasons that we've been able to identify for joy. So how does that work out for us? When we face a time of struggle or difficulty, whether it's, it's been sort of something on the, on the more national scale, you know, a pandemic, or maybe something much more specific and personal to you, uh, a cause of struggle and difficulty um, in your life. How do you respond? Uh, what is our reaction uh, to those things? Well, Christians, some Christians re respond to, to, to hardship and difficulty with, with that sort of gritted teeth determination. Um, you know, it's that sort of clenched jaw, head down, 
struggle on. I, I, I think of it a bit like the sort of the, the, the mountain walk in the rain experience. Um, I was thinking about it last night when I was watching the, the sort of the slides of the Morecambe Bay um, uh, group. Um, well, clearly, obviously, it never rains in Morecambe Bay. It's only ever sunny there. I quite understand that. Um, but if it, if it ever did happen to rain there, you know, you're, always, you're sort of out in the mountains. You just sort of head down. I've just got to get through this now. Um, just grit teeth, push on. Um, you know, it'll be over eventually. I mean, there is, a, there is a brand of Christianity that does that in relation to hardship, isn't there? Um, but, 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 then, but then there's a, another different tack. Um, those who go all smiley. Um, a, a, as if suffering and difficulty is what they've always wanted. Um, and, uh, and, and anything other than a sort of a fixed grin would be an offence to the Lord. Um, so regardless of the situation... Um, they're determined to remain cheerful and persuade everyone else that, that, that things are marvellous. I, I, I think of this approach, something like um, the redcoats at Butlins. Um, is anyone old enough to remember the redcoats at Butlins? Where, you know, there's just sort of, they're just this sort of surge of enthusiasm and joy, despite the fact that it's a sort of, you know, the, the rain is horizontal at Minehead um, and, uh, and it is thoroughly miserable. Um, so, so neither of those we know are kind of appropriate so, so, so how does the Apostle Paul do it? Because he's got reasons for, to, to feel hard-pressed. He's writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi from prison. Um, it, it looks as though the possibility of martyrdom um, is, is on the horizon. And, and the people to whom he writes... Uh, are also facing difficulty. At the end of chapter 1, he says, um, it has been granted to you, uh, chapter 1, verse 30, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So if these last few years have left you feeling a bit battered, uh, and if you continue to feel hard-pressed now in work and in life, then we should anticipate that this letter's got things to say to us uh, as we head back out. Uh, to uh, whatever comes next in these next weeks, months, years. We're going to focus on uh, chapter 2 and verses 12 to 18. Um, I I realise that again and again, when you come to chapter 2 of Philippians, our our attention is rightly drawn to the hymn to Jesus um, in verses um, 6 through to 11. And, you know, the glorious um, hymn of praise uh, of all uh, Christ is and all that he's done. But, but the, the verses that come after the ones we're going to focus on, and I think they are fascinating, um, uh, and, they, and they flow right out of it. It begins with a therefore, because of what we just heard about Jesus, therefore, um, and we get this next section. Um, three key lessons, I think, uh, that God has for us here. First, because God is in you, work out your salvation. Uh, Let me read uh, verses 12 and 13 again. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act, to fulfill his good purpose. Such fascinating verses. Um, We could spend the rest of our time uh, this morning in those, because uh, they explore a key question. How exactly does the Christian life work? 
Who precisely does what? How much of it is us and how much of it is him? Now, confusion abounds uh, on this topic. And um, uh, Tim yesterday was uh, recommending to us Dane Ortland's newest book, Deeper. Um, and I think it's great. Um, and I want to borrow four little labels that he uses to describe the ways that some people try to sometimes think about the Christian life. Because to some people, the Christian life is God, not me. Uh, so this is the attitude that, that, that sort of the let go and let God kind of attitude. You know, the Christian life is, is all God. Uh, and, and it produces a kind of, I just need to let go and let him take over. And it produces a kind of passivity. Um, it produces sort of believers who, who don't initiate stuff because they're, they're sort of waiting on God. As if it were somehow a lack of faith to actually initiate anything. Uh, let go and let God. Uh, God, not me. But, but, but to others, the Christian faith is God, then me. As, as if it's God who starts things, you know, God, God's the initiator, gets it going, gets me saved. But then it's all down to me now. Grace may convert, but we keep things going. Now, if, if that first attitude is a kind of sort of pietistic, um, sort of quietism kind of way of approaching the Christian life, then I, I venture to suggest that this second attitude is an evangelical one. I think those of us who would uh, own uh, evangelicalism as uh, our, our branding or whatever you want to call it, I think we need to be careful that, that this isn't us. You know, we, we may happily sing with John Newton, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will bring me home. But a lot of the time it looks like grace has got me going, but I'll take it from here, thanks God. <laughs> uh, another view. Uh, is God plus me? Um, I capture this. It's sort of um, a bit of him and a bit of me, a sort of collaboration between the two of us. Uh, and sometimes things go well because we're collaborating well, me and God. And sometimes things don't go so well because I'm sort of slightly getting in God's way and, and stopping him from, from managing to, to, to do everything that he wants to do. Now, it's sort of a, a little bit better and a little bit closer. Um, but it doesn't seem quite right, does it? The idea that, that God's unable to achieve his purposes because I'm getting in the way of him. So none of those three really quite do it. And actually what Paul is telling us here is that it's not let go and let God. It's not first God, then me. It's not a bit of God and a bit of me. Remarkably, it is all God and all me. It is God in me. That's what Paul is telling us here. Look again at what he says. As you have always obeyed, that's obedience to God. Now continue to obey by working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to do that. It's you who has to obey. There is obedience to be done. God has spoken and there is a, a necessary response of obedience that is expected from you. It's not let go and let God. There is something for you to get on and do. But don't do that imagining that it all relies upon you. No, not at all, because, verse 13, it's God who works in you 
to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Don't you love this? It's 100% God and 100% me. We work because God works in us. Now, like many of the great doctrines of the Christian faith, it ends in mystery. You know, you, you, you know the, the more mathematical amongst you are thinking, oh, for goodness sake, 100% God and 100% me, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I agree. But it's true. I don't know how it works either, but it works. And, and as I, I puzzled and, and wrestled to think, how do I illustrate this? Um, I wasn't sure. And I've come up with this one, and I'm pretty nervous of it for lots of reasons. Uh, a friend of mine works uh, for um, a company called Cambridge Medical Robotics. And um, one time he let me go and play on the robot. <laughs> so there I was sitting at the console with the screen, you know, playing around. While over, uh, you know, a few yards away, the robot is, is at its work, you know, doing, doing the surgery inside, inside the person. Oh, sorry, I should clarify. It, it was a mannequin. Uh, <laughs> yes, sorry. That, yeah, that's, that's, quite, that's quite important to, to be clear about, isn't it? Yeah, so... Um, but it's it, it just brilliant, you know, that it works like that. A clever robot. Now, imagine if, imagine if the robot didn't just sort of mimic whatever you're doing. Imagine the robot knew how to do surgery. Surgery that, that, that has never been done before. Operations that we've dreamt of, but we've never managed. Perform surgery that, that, that could bring cures and health and healing that uh, just beyond our, our wildest dreams. But it still needs you to sit at the console. You, you've, you've st it's, it's still, you've still got to do it. But, but the robot's going to enable operations that you've never dreamt of. How would you feel? I mean, at one level, you'd feel completely thrilled, wouldn't you? Think what I can now do. But you'd also feel a bit, a bit terrified, wouldn't you? Of the sense of, gosh, just think. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that work as an illustration? I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't work as a robot, because uh, because um, some of the people who do the software um, for for CMR they come to they come to our church, and and they're not that clever. Uh. <laughs> well, we're not clever enough to make a robot do that, is what I mean. I mean they're very clever, but they're not that clever um, to achieve that. So uh, I hope that as we see this. As we see that, that God works in us to, to, to fulfill his good purposes. I hope, I hope that takes you home encouraged. Filled with excitement at what, at what God can do because it's God working in you. But, but I also hope it, it fills us with a sense of responsibility as well. To do our part in dependence upon God to work out our salvation. To fulfill his good purposes through our Energies and efforts, 100% God, 100% me. God works in us. Therefore, 
work out our salvation. And then second, because the world is difficult, shine like stars. That's the next section. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Um, in, in this little section, Paul, Paul has this barrage of Old Testament sort of connections. Um, so the grumbling picks up on the Israelites in the wilderness as they head towards the promised land, all that grumbling uh, that they did through the book of Numbers. Um, the, the, the warped and crooked generation, well, that's actually a, a quote from a passage in, in Deuteronomy, chapter 32. And then the language of shining like stars comes from, uh, is quoting uh, from words in Daniel chapter 12, um, which, which reads like this. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I think he's, I think he's connecting with that passage here. In other words, this looks very much like it has a, an evangelistic thrust, a kind of a witness thrust. This is people who lead many to righteousness. He's thinking about our, our, our evangelistic witnessing, lights in a dark world uh, kind of role. Because that's what stars do, isn't it? Uh, they guide. You know, stars are what um, sailors use to navigate, uh, how, they, how they chart their path, how they, how they understand the way uh, that is needed. So, so how exactly do we do that uh, as believers? Well, Paul seems to have a couple of things in mind. One at the start of this little section, one at the end. At the start, in verse 14, Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Everything. Is that striking? Christian life, Christian faith, it's not something you can sort of isolate to a little subsection of your life. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do these things for God. This is the area that God's got control over. No, it's everything. Talking to, to some over the weekend uh, and hearing how they're aware that they're doing, they're doing well at work, managing their, their work life really well, but sensing uh, that their home life, not as it should be. Still others conscious that things are going well for them uh, in home, but at church, just struggling in one way or another. Paul says, do everything. The Lord Jesus claims everything. Everything that we are, everything that we do. He, he is concerned with every part of the life uh, that you live. Work, home, church, and in a sense, that's why you came on this weekend, isn't it? Out of a conviction that God is concerned about the way that you live in the workplace. And what Paul says is that the everything that we are to do is to be done without grumbling or complaining. Um, I, I told you it was a thrill to me to, to see how God had planned um, things in a way that I certainly hadn't. Um, and fascinating to see how this passage acts as a little summary for us of the first two. 
talks that I've given. Because first of all, we've got um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, get your anxiety in the right place. You know, fear and trembling in relation to the Lord. Um, and then um, anger, frustration. No, no, no. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You've got both of those things tucked in there. And, and I think the main context for, for this no grumbling, no complaining, no arguing is actually the church. Because all of the yous in this passage is, is plural. He's talking to, to the community together. He's talking about, look, you, you be the kind of church in Philippi that is so wonderfully united. Unity has been a big theme through this letter. Um, and it's one of the main ways that a church attracts, isn't it? Have you not experienced this in, in your church life? I look back over the 18 years that I've been pastor of the church I'm in Cambridge. And many times we've had people arrive and they're really taken by the community. Now they, 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 they like what they see and experience and feel of the community life that we have. And even though they're not believers, they're drawn to it. They're attracted by it. They can see something good in it. But sometimes, a little bit further down the track, they begin to hear the Christian message. And they don't like that. They they don't like hearing about sin. They don't like hearing about judgment. And they don't like hearing that there is a sacrifice for sin that was needed by Christ on the cross. And they say, look, can't we... Can't we just have, you know, why do you have to complicate things? It's just a lovely community that you've got here. But, you know, your message, it's just, it's not nice. Or talking about sin all the time. You know, we shouldn't do that. And as patiently as I can, I try to explain this community is a result of that message. It's because we talk about sin. It's because we talk about judgment. And it's because we talk about the glorious gift of grace in Christ that we have this community. Because everything about this community that you like so much, well, it's, it's produced by a desire to imitate the Christ who has loved us. So we, we're... we're we find ourselves able to be kind to one another because we have experienced kindness from the Lord. We find that generosity flares up in our community because we're people who have been treated generously by God. We find ourselves able to forgive one another because we have been forgiven in Christ. We serve one another because we have a king who served us even to the price of his death on the cross. This community is transformed by a knowledge of Christ. Now, unless things have changed an awful lot from uh, my days as a junior doctor, I am sure that many of you find yourselves under considerable pressure in relation to involvement with church with the demands of work, with shift patterns and all the rest. And and it's easy to begin to think, well, maybe it's okay just for me to be an individual star, shining in my own little bit of sky. 
And with all the gentleness that I can say, can I say it's not? Because God speaks this command to us, to a community. You, plural, need to shine like stars. You, plural, need to go about your Christian life without grumbling or complaining or arguing. It's you as a community that hold out the word of life. Uh, and that's how we shine. You see it there uh, at, the, um, at the end of verse uh, 16. No, beginning of verse 16. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's what, that's what, that's what we have to do as a, a community of believers together. It, the language actually is ambiguous here. Um, it could mean hold on to the word of life, or it could mean hold out the word of life. I, I wonder whether Paul used language here that was deliberately ambiguous because he wanted to catch both of those senses together. Um, it, our world is moving fast, isn't it? And, and where once it, it was sort of a relatively easy thing to hold on to the word of life because people quite liked it, now holding on to the word of life a little bit harder. Because it's not really a, a done thing to be a Christian anymore. You know, we used to be unpopular because we were a bit holier than thou. Now we're unpopular because people find the Christian faith immoral. The things that we say, some of the things we've been hearing about in public policy uh, a moment ago, you stand for those and people won't think you're being a bit, you know, you're being a bit too, too righteous. No, no, they'll think that what you're saying is immoral and wrong. We've moved from being the good guys to being the bad guys. And we're going to have to get used to that. It's not going to go away. So it's going to be harder than it was to hold firmly to the word of life. So first, because God is in you, work out your salvation. Second, because it's a difficult world, shine like stars, both in the quality of community life and in the determination to hold out and hold on to this word of life, this gospel of salvation. And then thirdly, because of one another, rejoice. But to be honest, the, 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 this passage takes a funny turn at this point. Um, see if you don't find that. Um, I'll read from middle of verse 15 again. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's joy, it seems, from these verses is in them. He rejoices because of them, because of what he sees in them, because of the, the way that they're living, because of everything he's heard about them, because they're obeying. He rejoices in them. And, and you might think, well, that's a bit odd. Shouldn't his joy be in Christ? Isn't that what we normally expect? Isn't it Jesus who we ought to look to in order to find joy? Only, of course, that's the point, isn't it? 
it is Jesus that he's looking to. Because these believers are the body of Christ. What he sees is Christ reflected in them. It's very striking. You, um, do you remember these, these extraordinary words in John's first letter? Um, 1 John 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so also or we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, these are extraordinary words. You can hear that John is using some of the same language he uses in the beginning of his gospel. No one has ever seen God. But how does he finish it there? No one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, has made him known. Jesus has come. The incarnation. What's he do here? No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We do the Christian life right as communities together. We love one another. We form that sort of community uh, of united, non-grumbling, loving, serving, caring for one another. Then we become the manifestation, Christ's body on earth. God lives in us and people will see Christ in us and be drawn to us. That's a startling thing, isn't it? What a challenge for the quality of our church life for the privilege of being able to hold out the word of life, both through our speaking, through our words, but also through our community life lived together. Isn't that why we miss church so badly during the pandemic? Because because we were prevented, we were sort of separated from this very experience of, of being encouraged by seeing Christ manifested amongst us in our communities that was what's so awful about it wasn't it i once once we began to regather i realized that what i missed was just all of those little conversations all of the community life all of the all of the sense of just just being part of a fellowship centered around the lord jesus sharing in him and being encouraged by him because in my brothers and sisters i saw christ achieving his purposes Paul looks at what God is doing. He looks at the fellowship that God is creating and in it he sees Christ. This is where he finds his joy. Paul's not gritting his teeth and just plodding on miserably. He's not going on smiling and pretending everything's fine. No, no, he's looking at what God is achieving in his people. So that in the sacrifices and the service they make, in the way that they pour themselves out for one another, in the way that they are united, Paul says, I see that. I'm glad and rejoice. And you should be glad and rejoice too. Because the gospel works. Christ redeems us in the past. He transforms us in the present. And he will bring us to glory on the last day. Now, CMF is not a church, but it is a fellowship. And there are reasons to to find exactly this kind of encouragement from one another. I I trust you have done that this weekend. Both of the things that we've heard of the work that goes on uh, in the different branches and areas of CMF's ministry, uh, but also in the individual conversations you've had 
with one another. And, and I'd love to suggest that as we, as we close this session uh, and as we begin to anticipate our return home, that, that maybe we just take a few moments now, uh, to, if you're happy to, to talk to somebody near you and say, what is it? What have you seen? What have you heard this week in one another uh, that has brought you joy? As you thought, how wonderful, Christ is at work. How wonderful, Christ has done that. You know, what have you seen? Uh, just take a moment to, to, to think about that and then, and then share it with somebody alongside. And then what ambitions has this stirred in you as you go home? Um, so we're going to take a few moments. Uh, we're going to sing again in a second, but take a few moments just to talk to somebody next to you. And if you feel comfortable, maybe you want to turn that into a prayer um, that God would fulfill uh, those godly ambitions in you as you head home. So let's, let's just talk together for a moment. You have been listening to CMF's First Incision podcast. Over the last few editions, we've been sharing talks and discussions from this year's CMF National Conference. We've got one more podcast to come with some of uh, Steve Midgley's answers to members' questions. And you can look at all of these videos and audio clips on CMF's official YouTube channel, the links to which will be in the show notes for this edition. If you are new to the podcast and like what you've heard, you can subscribe through the usual podcast feeds and apps. Uh, And do check out our back catalogue of episodes. We've been running this podcast since July of 2019, and we've covered a huge range of topics in that time, from mindfulness to COVID vaccines, racism to climate change, all with a distinctively biblical and healthcare perspective. And if you can, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the podcast in your chosen app. In addition to being helpful to us, it helps other people to discover this podcast. So until the next time, stay safe and take care. 